Turn in your Bibles, Psalms chapter number one tonight. Psalms chapter number one. What a blessing to be in the house of God this evening. Amen. It's good to get to be here. There's storms around us a little bit. I'm glad even the storm, he's present with us. Amen. And uh, if the power goes out, you just keep listening and I'll keep preaching. Amen. Uh, we, ain't, we ain't worried about that. And uh, uh, Psalms chapter number one, I'd like to begin reading in verse number one. We'll read the entirety of this short psalm, only six verses, and then we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Psalms chapter number one, verse number one, the word of God says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. I pray that you'd bless your word, Lord. I know that often in the infirmity of my flesh, there's things about me that you can't bless in your holiness. But Lord, I know that you can always bless your word. So I ask that as we preach the word of God tonight, that Christ would be magnified, that the word of God would have free course, and that the spirit of God would have liberty to work in our hearts and minds. And we'll be sure to thank you for what you have done, what you will do. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, the book of Psalms being the largest book of the Bible, it's been said by several commentators that it reveals to us the heart of God. And certainly that's true. You go through the book of Psalms and and you'll find all varying manners of, of divine communication. You'll find prophetic communication where God is reaching from the, the past and into the future and revealing truths that, though present to his experience and heart and mind, uh, were unknown to the penman whom God was using to pin them down. And then you'll find personal passages. And you say, well, what do you mean, preacher? Well, things that have to do with our spiritual life, our struggles and our difficulties and uh, the nourishment of our spiritual development. And then you'll find practical passages, passages that simply get down to where we live and tell us how we're to behave and, and what we're supposed to do. And the book of Psalms is a ranging book. It goes all over and all through the Christian experience. But it's interesting that this book would begin with such a short, concise, pointed and simple psalm. Uh, this psalm does something that you'll find God has a tendency to do throughout the word of God, which is to lay before his people a choice. You know, life is simply a series of choices. Every single day you make choices about how you're going to live, where you're going to go, what you're going to do. And even your relationship with God is a matter of choices. Are we going to live for him or are we not? Are we going to stand for him or are we not? Are we going to be faithful to him or are we not? And if you break down a person's life, what you'd find is it's comprised of just millions of choices, each made distinctly, individually, in course, that when combined together, wove the tapestry of their life. And Psalms chapter number one puts into sharp relief this reality in our life. You know, there was a time that the prophet of God said, choose you this day whom you'll serve. Uh, there were times in the Old Testament God laid a blessing on one side and a curse on the other. And he simply said, now choose what you want for your life. 
Psalms chapter number 1 does much the same thing. We find that verse number 1 gives us some practical instruction. And we'll get to that here in a moment. But the following verses in this chapter really present to us a striking comparison. And the psalmist lays out the way that two different types of people live, the godly man and the ungodly man. And it's almost as though God is saying this, what kind of life do you want? I think, and and I'm not old, I don't think I am, I feel that way sometimes, but as I get older in life, I am arrested by the thought that we all have the type of life really that we want to have. Now, I don't mean that your bank account's as big as you wish it was. I don't mean that your house is as nice as you wish it was, your car's as new as you wish it was. But I mean the real substance, the things that matter in our life, we really get to set the course for what our life is in many ways. Now, I'm not saying there aren't things that enter into our life uncalled for by us and and things that we wish were not present there. But when it regards our spiritual walk with the Lord, we decide whether we want to walk with God or not. We decide whether we want to live for Him or not. And I'm not saying you get to decide every storm cloud that flies into your life, whether it comes or whether it doesn't. If you did, no doubt it would be nothing but sunshine all your days. But you do get to decide what you'll do with the life and the experiences that God gives you and sends your way. And so it's almost as though this question is being put before all of us. What kind of life do we really want? I know a lot of people that live lives of brokenness and they've chosen to do it. And you say, well, preacher, how do you know that? Well, because often when when presented with an option to live a different way, they don't. When given plain, clear instruction about how we can change our life and the substance of it, they simply don't. They choose not to do so. I've also seen people that have lived lives of brokenness and traded that life in for a life of blessedness because they got tired of living that way. I often pray for people and my heart's burdened for people. I could give you names. I could describe the way that they're living who have simply chosen to live a life of brokenness. Now, I'm not talking about people that are victims of unfortunate circumstances. I'm talking about people that are diving headlong into sorrow and misery in their life. And I often think to myself, what would it take to get them to wake up and realize that that's not the kind of life that they want? But you know, the truth of the matter is, for you and I, the only reason we don't have that kind of a life is because the sweet Holy Spirit stirred our heart, showed us that life of brokenness, and we said, you know, I'm tired of that life. I don't want that anymore, and we chose a new direction to go in. And so let's take a few moments and look at what the psalmist teaches us here in this very first preliminary, foundational beginning point for the book of Psalms. As we've already said, the first thing that we'll notice tonight is a striking comparison. Verses 2 through 6 lay out these two different lives. The first life that's laid out is the blessed life. It's framed by what's said in verse number 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, everywhere there, it just told us what he don't do. But now it's getting ready to tell us what he does do. And what does this life look like that God does? desires for his children to have doesn't necessarily mean wealth and riches doesn't necessarily mean invincible health it doesn't necessarily mean you're never going to have relationships fall apart and never going to have sorrow in your life but there are certain things about this that God desires for each and every one of us notice number one this blessed life that God has for those that would give their life to him it number one it is a life of fulfillment 
Look at verse number two. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, this is being laid in juxtaposition to the ungodly counsel that he is spurning and turning away. But I'd just like to notice this in a practical way. Hey, a man whose life is blessed by God, what does he enjoy? Well, he enjoys the things of God. And you know what happens as a result of that? In his law doth he meditate day and night. You know what you'll find? If you'll fall in love with the things of God, you'll never want for love in your life. If you will uh, make your delight and desire the will of God and the things of God, you'll never want for things that give you joy and give you happiness and give you fulfillment. A lot of the reason that Christians walk around with their joy tank on empty is because they live a life craving after the things of the world that God has put beyond their reach because it's not for the children of God. And then they wonder why they have no peace and no joy. But if we relish the things of God, if we desire the things of God, hey, listen, you love this book, you'll get to read it as much as you want. You love prayer, you'll get to pray as much as you want. You love church, you'll get to go to church as much as you want. Now, if you love many of the things that that mammon offers, that the God of this world offers, I hate to tell you, as a born-again Christian, much of that you won't get to taste. And if you do taste it, it'll turn to bitterness and ash in your mouth, and you'll live an unsatisfied life. See, God wants us to live a life of fulfillment, but not by giving and granting us everything that our flesh would desire, but rather by changing our desires to that which He can bless and that which He can sanction. That's the reason the psalmist would go on to say, Hey, delight thyself in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. In other words, not that He's going to give you everything you're going to desire, but He's going to give you the kind of desires that you ought to have. Uh, Lest Roloff, you say, ever since I got born again, this was him quoting, he said, he said, ever since I got born again, he said, I drink as much as I want to. He said, I cuss as much as I want to. He said, I, I run around as much as I want to. He said, when God saved me, he changed my want to. Now, did uh, Lester Olaf walk around in uh, fallen flesh just like the rest of us? Sure. But his point was simply this, that the the new man, let me say it right, the new man, the spiritual man, desired the things of God and that that was a satisfying reality in his life. I would say that God wants us to live a life that is fulfilled, that is meaningful, that has joy within it. But to do that, we're going to have to joy in the things of God. It's a life of fulfillment. Notice number two, it's a life of fruitfulness. He says in verse three, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Now, if you want to hear commentators wax eloquent about that river of water and how it represents in some ways the Holy Spirit, in other ways the Word of God, I mean, listen, by all means, you spend time uh, when you're about halfway through your shouting fit, call me on the phone so I can listen to it. Amen. Uh, That don't bother me one bit. But again, let me just make a simple and practical observation here. A tree that's planted by rivers of water is a tree that's never going to go dry. It's a tree that will always be fruitful. It's a tree that will always bear fruit when it's time. Notice how it says it, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Now, oftentimes the fruitfulness that we desire is not uh, either the timing that God uh, desires for us, it's not in our season, or it's not the type of fruit that God desires. But it's the will of God that all of us be fruitful in our life. Now, what does fruitfulness look like? Well, it seems as though there's three ways in which fruitfulness is spoken of in the life of the believer. In one sense, fruitfulness is spoke about the manifest evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Then the Bible talks about fruitfulness in regards to uh, our good deeds or good works for God. And let me say, your good works uh, do not get, get you to heaven. They don't save you, but they sure enough ought to be what you're doing after you get saved. 
Uh, God has foreordained that we should walk in them. It's the will and desire of God that we be fruitful in good works, that uh, we be abounding. We preached about this the other night, abounding in every good work, uh, in all fruitfulness, being faithful to him. And then fruitfulness can regard the multiplication of the life of the believer in another person's life. My pastor used to always say, an orange tree puts off oranges, an apple tree puts off apples, and a Christian ought to create other Christians. Now, not in the sense of us saving them, I can't save them, you can't save them, but we can point them to the one that can save them and see them one for Christ. But really, in regards to all three of these aspects, the person who's living the life that God desires for them is going to have fruitfulness in all three of these things. The Holy Spirit is going to administrate your life, and that's going to produce works that are pleasing unto God. And one of those works that will be pleasing unto God is to be a faithful witness for Him. So it's a life of fruitfulness. We ought to be fruitful in every good work. And then notice he says this, His leaf also shall not wither. What does that suggest to us? Well, the leaf suggests the outward testimony, doesn't it? If you want to see if something's alive, the first thing you'll often look for is not the fruit, but is the leaf. It is the express manifestation, the most direct, obvious, simple observation of life present in a plant. And when it says his leaf shall not wither, what does that suggest to us? Well, I think it suggests a life of faithfulness. People ought to be able to look at our life and see that there's the life of Christ in us by the way that we're living. I'll go ahead and tell you, hey, listen, the the most healthy tree has some dead leaves on it. No one's suggesting that we're not going to make mistakes. No one's suggesting we won't have moments, lapses, uh, seasons of disobedience in our life. But if we're living in obedience to the Lord, we're going to produce a life of consistent faithfulness to Him. Say, now, preacher, uh, are you beating up on me if I've not been faithful to the Lord the way that I wish I had? No, but I am saying this, you can be. You can be faithful to the Lord. That's what God desires for you. Uh, we're going to see this laid alongside the ungodly man who is like chaff, which the wind drives away, suggesting a, a flightiness, a, an unsettledness to, to life. And that's not the will of God for any of us. It's the will of God that our leaf not wither, that our testimony uh, not fail, uh, that we be living a life of faithfulness for him. And then notice what he says, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. It's a life of favor. Now, prosper is an interesting thing. Uh, one of the things, and, and I don't want to get into a whole big political thing because I'm enjoying the Word of God too much, but one of the great misnomers in our society today is that our country is run so poorly because people are incompetent. I actually don't believe that's true. I believe it's being run the way it is because people are highly competent, and I think their definition of success and your definition of success are wildly different. I think we're not going to see anything change in our country until we quit granting in good faith the benefit of the doubt to people that have shown themselves to be enemies of the interests of our country consistently. You think about it, and it strikes me in this way. Favor, prosper, has a different definition to different people. There are certain things that might look like prospering to you that might not look like prospering to me. There are certain things, especially if we're at cross interests one to another, where I might see it as failure and you might see it as success. And, you know, often in our life, we look at the Lord and, and we, we foolishly charge him as not prospering our life. But the problem is we've allowed our flesh to put us at cross purposes with God's desire for our life. 
Can I tell you that God's ultimate goal for your life is not to make you wealthy? And in fact, it might be that to make you uh, financially wealthy would be to spiritually bankrupt you. Do you know that it's not the uh, teetotal will of God for you to be healthy? I don't believe that sickness is a sign of sin or disobedience in someone's life. No more than I think healthiness is a sign of righteousness in someone's life. Uh, There's all kinds of healthy people that are reprobates walking around in the world today. And if I'm to suggest that good health or or that a a person's health and well-being is inextricably linked to a person's morality or spirituality, then I can't just look at the person that's sick and call them disobedient. I must then turn and look at the person that's healthy and call them obedient. I don't think you can always do either one of those things, do you? No, rather, I I think this, there's times that for God to give us the health we wish we have might spiritually break us. In other words, I'm saying this, that, that God will favor and prosper the person that follows him and lives for him. That prosperity may not look like how you would define prosperity, but mark her down. One of these days we're going to get to glory and the whole tale is going to be told. And we're going to see that a life lived for God was always worth it. We see a blessed life in verses 2 and 3. And then we see the broken life in verses 4 through 6. I won't say a lot about it because I want to get to the part that's going to help you. And and I trust most people in here on a Wednesday night. You're here because you love the Lord. You want to live for Him. But I still think it would be worth our while to notice what this broken life looks like. Probably, and here's what I'd advise you, is think about those that are living that life and let it break your heart for them that you might better pray for them to think that they're living a life like this. What does the broken life look like? Verse 4 says this, The ungodly are not so. Now, let me just pause there and say there's a difference between the life of the person that's godly and the person that's ungodly. Now, that may seem obvious. It may even seem elementary to have to say it. But we're living in a world that abjectly denies that. That says that a person can live ungodly and that it's not going to make a difference in their life. And even modern day Christianity, much of it touts this notion, this sort of, uh, you know, esoteric concept of Christianity that it's nothing but just a set of principles that nourish the inner man while not regarding a person's outward behavior. But I'd have you notice the Bible says there's a difference between the way the godly man lives and the way the ungodly man lives. So there's a difference. Well, what is that difference? Notice this, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives the way. So in other words, the life of of a godly man is a life of fulfillment, but the broken life of the ungodly, it is an unsatisfying life. You know, outwardly speaking, there's not any difference between the wheat and the chaff when you're observing it. Uh, In fact, the way that they have to separate the wheat and the chaff is they harvest it both together and then they take it to a threshing floor and they cast it up in the air. And and that which has substance and life to it will fall to the ground while the wind will carry away that which is empty because it has no substance to it. What does this remind us of? Well, it reminds us of this, that that broken life, though though it may be robed up in the same smiles and, and the same enthusiasm on the outward, if you were to look inside of it, you'd find it hollow, meaningless, and empty. A broken life is an unsatisfying life. That's part of the reason that people that are chasing after that life, they are never satisfied. They're always going from this relationship to that relationship, from this habit to that habit, uh, from this goal to that goal. You'd think at some point, if that life was so good, you'd stick with it and be satisfied. But the truth is, the only place that satisfaction comes from is from the Lord. 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know why that is? Because if you're content without godly uh, godliness, there ain't no, no gain about it. Uh, if you're godly without contentment, you're going to miss a lot of the blessing of godliness. But if you can be godly and content, you've gained a great thing in your life. It's the will of God that we live a satisfied, fulfilled life. But if we live for ourselves, for our flesh, you know, your flesh is never satisfied. The Bible talks about there'd be a day when men's gods would be their bellies. What does that mean? Uh, it doesn't simply mean that we'd overeat or be gluttonous in the way that we conducted our health. But what it means is that our God would be that which we consume, uh, that which we desire. We're living in a day like that where no matter what people have, uh, the thing they want is the next thing. Uh, it doesn't matter that things are getting worse ever increasingly. They want the next thing. I watched one of those new Ford Broncos drive by uh, when I was on my way to church, and I just grieved. <laughs> I did. I thought, why can't they do this right? You know, all this. Can they not search their archives and find the original blueprints for the Ford Bronco and just say what we did here? Do it again, fellas. Just do it again. Same lines, same everything, same. Just do it again, all over again. Uh, You know, why would anyone want one of those new monstrosities? If you're driving one, I'm sorry, but not for me. I'm sorry for you. Amen. Even though everything's getting worse in life, men crave after the next thing. Why is that? Well, because the things that they're consuming are not satisfying. It's an unsatisfying life. Notice number two, it's an unsettled life. Because of that, it says, are like the chaff which the wind drives away. If you ain't got no substance, man, every wind that blows is going to push you this way and that. We live in a society, and I'm going to use a, I'm going to use a, a, a nice good theological word, flaky. Flaky. I'm talking about cornflaky. We live in a society where people are just blown this way and that. Uh, we were talking the other day, uh, me and somebody was, I was talking about, uh, you know, our church and the way God's blessed and the way that it's grown. I remember hearing my pastor say one time, he said, if I, if I had kept everybody that came, we'd fill Nayland Stadium. And I thought he was joking. I'm just going to say that again. I thought at the time he was joking. I've learned now he probably wasn't. You know why that is? Because just in a general sense, if we're not living for the Lord the way that we ought to, we got no substance to our life. We have an unsettled life blown this way and that way. Can I tell you, the next best thing is not going to be any better than the last best thing. Peace only comes from the Lord. It's an unsettled life. Not only that, verse 5 tells us it's an unsanctioned life. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the day of judgment. The great tragedy is this. Hey, will your life stand when you stand before God? I'm glad to report to you that if you're born again, the matter of your salvation is settled by the cross of Calvary. But I wonder how your life is going to stand up when you have to give an account before God concerning it. Uh, Second Corinthians or first Corinthians chapter three describes how that one day we'll stand before the Lord and God's going to strike the match of his judgment to our life and see what burns away and see what stands. He's going to look at our life and he's going to parse through it. And that which is is nothing but wood, hay, and stubble, that which was was of this world, that which is insignificant is going to be burnt away. And that which is gold and silver and precious stone signifying that which has has a lasting quality, that which is eternal in nature is going to be left. And I tell you, man, there's a lot of us that won't have much because we have wasted our life on things that simply do not matter. The life, this broken life, uh, it's not the life that God desires for his children. And it's not a life that we're going to have a good excuse for one day. One of the most toxic things about the culture of social media that we're in today, 
And I thought people were getting bored with social media. I think they sort of are. I hope they continue to get bored with it. It's a scourge on society in many ways. And I'm not like uh, biblically against it. I'm just like practically against it, right? <laughs> like I've got a social media account and, and uh, you know, you probably do. And that's fine. I ain't fussing at you any more than I'm fussing at me. But on the whole, I think there's a negative element to it. You know why? It gives everybody a, a, a fan club for their bad decisions. We curate this environment, this world, where no one ever challenges anything we say or anything that we do. And then when we do bad things, when we make bad decisions in our life, if anybody disagrees with it, we just ax them out of our of our interactions. And we create a world where all there is is people that will clap for us no matter what. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you why they'll clap for you? Uh, they'll clap for you, but they ain't going to bail you out. They'll clap for you, but they ain't going to pray for you. <laughs> they'll clap for you, but they ain't going to be there for you. You better surround yourself with people that love you and that'll be there for you in your life. You and I, we don't need a fan club. Hey, we need a fellowship of like-minded believers. And the, the sad truth is, you for any decision you make, you'll find somebody that is so little invested in your life that they'd be happy to give you a thumbs up for the way that you're living. But you know the truth is we're going to stand before God one day. And the question is, will the life that we live, will it stand before him? Not only is it an unsanctioned life, and I guess I've already preached this, but I'll go ahead and mention it. It's an unsupported life. Notice what it says. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. I've already preached all over this. I ain't going to preach it except to say this. That kind of life, if you're going to live it, the only people that will surround you and agree with it are people that do not love you or care about you. Uh, if you want people around you that are going to help you, then they're probably going to have a problem with you living that way. Uh, that's part of the reason, man, everybody needs a church family. We all do. I do. I need a church family. I, listen, I don't just need a church because I'm a pastor and got to preach somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I go preach out on the streets. Amen. I, I, I don't I, I've got a church family because I need a church family. I need people around me because I need accountability. I need people around me because I need encouragement. I need people around me because I need somebody that loves me enough that if I'm going off the rails, they'll tell me. Because the truth of the matter is, if you're going to live that life, you're not going to do it in the congregation of the righteous. Not unless you get challenged on it. And hopefully in that moment, man, there's been a lot of people that the reason they went from that broke life to that blessed life is because they had somebody that loved them enough to say, you're getting ready to wreck yourself. You better make a course correction. You better do right. So it's an unsupported life. But then notice verse 6. It says this, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. That's an interesting verse for a lot of reasons. It's interesting because it says the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. Well, of course, that's true. But then almost as though it is in, in contrast, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. It sort of implies that the Lord doesn't know the way that the ungodly lives. But now we know that's not true. The Lord's eyes are upon every man uh, beholding the good and the evil. He sees all things. So what then is the psalmist driving at? I think he's saying this uh, in much the same way that Job could say when he couldn't find God, but he knoweth the way that I take and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I think the psalmist is saying this. I don't always know the way, but God knows the way and I'm living for him and so I can trust him that he's guiding me on my footsteps. But the ungodly can't live that way. They can't rely on the fact that even though ill times may come, even though heartache and sorrow may come, they can fling themselves upon the, the rock of Christ and his providence and they can, can rest in the fact that God is in control of their life because they're not living a life that is sanctioned by him. I would say this, the greatest source of Christian confidence 
is to know we're in the will of God. The greatest source often of anxiety about our choices in life is rooted in a lack of confidence that we're walking in the will of God. I'm just speaking about my life. I ain't even talking about you. If this is true about you, that's a great coincidence. (laughs) But I'm just talking about me. And I'm just saying, when I'm living for God, I can face a lot of things. I'm bold as a lion. You know why? Because I know the Lord knoweth the way that I take. When I'm not living for God, I'm not so bold. You know why? Because I'm always wondering, man, is this chastening? Is this just the product of my own dumb decisions? Is this just my own foolishness and folly that has led to this heartache? You know what I find? It is an uncertain life, this broken life. To live for self is to live with a lack of confidence and a lack of courage. So we see a blessed life and we see a broken life. Now, what's the difference between the two? Well, verse number one has already told us. But let's just notice it briefly and then we'll close. Verse one says this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So we have a striking comparison in verses two through six. But all the way back at verse one, we have a simple instruction given. God says, you don't want to live that broken life. You want to live a life that is blessed. And that doesn't necessarily mean a lot of money or perfect health or or all your your desires, your fleshly desires. Uh, But but it does mean living a life that pleases God and glorifies him, gives you great peace and great contentment. Here's how you do it. And he gives a simple instruction. Notice, number one, it's an instruction regarding your counsel. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Hey, we need to be careful who we're listening to. One of the byproducts, negative results of living in such a technologically hooked up world that we live in is that, man, we just got at our disposal and fingertips so much bad stuff. Talking about stuff that masquerades as Christianity, stuff that paints itself up as biblical, but you get to the core, you get to the heart of it, and there's nothing biblical about it. And if God's people aren't careful about who they listen to, what they listen to, and the things that they allow in their life, you can make shipwreck of yourself. I've known a lot of people going and growing for the Lord, and then all of a sudden they let somebody have an entrance in their life. It may have been a TV preacher. It may have been some motivational speaker. It may have been a friend. It may have been a co-worker. It may have been someone that they just knew at a distance or someone that they knew personally. But they allowed someone with ungodly counsel to get in their ear and start to talk to them. And pretty soon the devil, he's not going to make it sound bad. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the devil is pretty good at what he does. He's been doing it a long time, and he's pretty good at what he does. And you know, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, he was pretty good at it then, too. I, I, listen, he, he, could, he, could, he could get Eve to trade eternal life and contentment for some piece of fruit. I have never in my life seen a piece of fruit I'd choose above a piece of meat, let alone above eternal life. But he did it. So what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying he's going to make it sound good. He's going to make it sound right. Well, how could we ever guard ourselves, preacher? Well, here's how the blessed man does it. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. That's how the blessed man does it. He keeps that Bible close, and he reads it consistently, and he keeps his heart in the Word of God. And that is enough to fend off ungodly counsel. So it's an instruction regarding your counsel. Number two, it's an instruction regarding your conduct. He says, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Now, when he says standeth in the way, he's not talking about obstructing sinners in what they're doing, but rather he's saying standing in the same place, in the same way of living, in the same spot that sinners do. When he talks about the way of sinners, he's talking about the way of living that sinners have. 
And notice it's interesting, and this is precious to me. He doesn't say he never steps in the way of sinners. Because the truth is, there's we all step in the way of sinners sometimes. But he says, nor standeth in the way of sinners. In other words, in your life, there's going to be times you sin, you make mistakes, times that you mess up. Uh, you know, get over it. Get over yourself. We all do that. It doesn't matter who you are. We all do that. Uh, you, you say, well, preacher, I can't promise I'll never step the wrong way. But you can promise you ain't going to stand there once you know it's the wrong way. You can promise that you're not going to let your pride and your rebelliousness entrench you in that disobedience, that you'll be humble enough when God deals with you to say, now, Lord, you're right, and I'm not going to continue in this way. So, in other words, we live a biblical life. We live the life that sinners don't live. And that, too, is, I think, uh, you know, sort of uh, shaded by what the psalmist says in verse 2, is delight is in the law of the Lord. We're not walking in the way of sinners, but we're walking in the way of Scripture. And then notice what he says, and I'll be done. So it's regarding your counsel and your conduct. But notice the last place he talks about, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. I've thought a lot about this phrase, sitteth in the seat of the scornful. A scornful person is a cynic. It's a person that scoffs, that mocks, and that spurns the things of God. And I just jotted it down this way. It's an instruction regarding your countenance, your spirit, your disposition, your attitude. How you respond to the Lord when the Lord deals with you. You know, a great many of us scorn the things of God. When He deals with us, we disregard Him. We put Him off. We we dismiss what He has to say. And often we we allow a cynic spirit, a cynic attitude to infect us to such a degree that we no longer crave and look for God to work in our life. You know, a person who is living a life blessed by God is someone that is always looking for the hand of God in what's taking place in their life. I'll tell you, if if you're tired of looking for God, you'll quit seeing him. And I don't mean this to sound, you know, philosophical in nature. God's working in our life all the time, but I found this to be true. Man, when I'm looking for God, I find Him everywhere. When I decide I don't want to see Him, I find a way somehow to ignore Him. And so I'm not suggesting that this is merely the, the visualizing and materializing of our wishes and desires or some kind of uh, mysticism, hippie nonsense. What I'm saying is that God is working in our life consistently. But it's going to be up to you and I whether we are scornful of what God's doing or whether we look and regard it and and look and seek for God to get glory out of our life. Now, you could probably apply this phrase in a lot of ways, but I just say this, that the blessed man, how, how do you live a life that's blessed of God? Well, for one thing, you listen to him and not the devil's crowd. For another thing, you obey His Word. You walk in His way, the way of Scripture, instead of the way of sinners. Then I would say this, you you remain humble, real, sincere, and tender in your relationship with Him. You don't become a cynic. You keep looking for God to work in your life. Here's what it boils down to for you and I. We get to choose the type of life that we live. Now, you probably don't get to choose everything about how you experience life, but you do get to choose whether you're going to live for God or whether you're not. So what kind of life do you and I want to live? It's our choice. I hope we'll make the right one tonight. Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. I want to give you an opportunity, if God dealt with your heart about anything, to find a place down here at the altar. There's probably some folks that have business they need to do with the Lord. And then there's probably others whose heart is burdened because they see someone else that they love living this life of brokenness. You want to see them turn. 
You say, preacher, I don't know what to do. I can't change them. No, you can't, but God can. And here's what you can do. You can be praying for God to have an entrance, an open door in their heart and in their mind. I invite you to come pray for them tonight. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.